You can probably hear that hunk of ice rattling around in my wine glass. <sighs> I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About icebergs. About bad decisions. About metaphorical icebergs. About <laughs> orphans. About chastity about the early days of Hollywood about like a lot of very specific historical references yeah a lot of name dropping (laughs) is what this podcast is about Um, but most of all it's about the first thing romance novels and ourselves this week we continue the ice wine tradition with an episode about no greater love by America's number one bestseller Daniel Steele Danielle Steel spelled the same way as the steel dossier. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. So we did No Greater Love because I found this in a thrift store and I love the portrait of Danielle Steele on the back. You've already seen it if you follow mm-hmm. us on Instagram. So the back of the book just says over 320 million copies of her novel sold, her portrait, and then underneath it says everybody reads Danielle Steele. Yeah. Was this your first Danielle Steele? It sure was. So I'll do the summary. So basically this book is about a well-to-do family from from San Francisco that goes to England to visit the aunt who is married to a, a duke or a lord or something unhappily. And they also are going over across the pond because their oldest daughter is marrying an Englishman. They want to celebrate the engagement. And then to further celebrate the engagement, the family is going to sail back to New York City on the, the Titanic. Titanic. Spoiler alert, the Titanic hits an iceberg. Who would have thought? And sinks. The children all survive. So there's five kids. The eldest daughter, who is our heroine. Edwina. Edwina. Wynn. Her oldest brother, Philip. And then there's George. And then there's Alexis. the blonde one, Alexis. And then the brunette girl. Fanny. Fanny. And then Teddy, the baby. Their parents die. Their maid dies. This Irish gal who had family in the poor people section of Steerage. the Titanic. I think poor people section is maybe a more apt name. Uh, Steerage? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Who did they keep there? Who did they keep there? Lots of poor people. Because I just think only exclusively poor people. Oh yeah, but I think steerage is like the same sort of like the labels on the tin. It is what it is. Steerage. I'm not gonna get into any nautical discussions with you. Oh man, I'm, that's too bad because the historical detail of the sinking of the Titanic in the first hundred pages is outstanding. Yeah, so she like returns to San Francisco to raise her siblings. Then there's the sinking of the Lusitania and her oldest brother who's been at Harvard decides that he's gonna join up. He gets killed in France in World War One. Then her now oldest brother drops out of Harvard to start a job in the movies and then her little sister Alexis decides she's going to be a movie star and gets seduced by the wrong kind of daddy and anyway she like saves her and then in like the last 100 pages she has like an affair with this guy and then she ends up marrying her sister-in-law father-in-law her brother's father-in-law yes her sister-in-law's dad yeah who is a was that like a father-in-law once removed 
No. I mean, no. What it is is not cool because she's only 32 and he's 57. The book takes pains to point out and she's like, I could have kids with this guy. And I was like, he has an adult daughter who just married your adult brother. But she could. She could have kids with she that guy. She could. But like, I don't know. The age dynamics of this book are very strange. Oh, what? And then she'd be a single mom when he died early. She's already been there, done that. Yeah. Hardcore. I don't know. I have very, very strong feelings about the end of this book. <laughs> so I want to start off with a question. What do you think is the titular love that there is no greater love than? I mean, the book ends with a pretty clear definition that the no greater love is like the love between a husband and a wife. You think that's the titular no greater love? The love that you're willing to die for and like leave your kids for. So what Isabel is referring to is the fact that our heroine really wrestles with this idea that her mother decided to not get on a lifeboat and sensibly in Edwina's understanding abandoned her family so that she would not have to live without her husband is how Edwina comes to understand her mother's choice and Edwina really ruminates on this because she ends up not really marrying for like any kind of romantic love. But like that's ultimately where the book ends like it's last four paragraphs are like I could see myself learning to love in the way that my mother loved which is all consuming all of this other stuff for this person that I'm friends with and you know he's nice to the kids that I've raised and I like that and you know he's got money so we'll always be comfortable like the reasons why she thinks that she can get to the position of this all-consuming love is I don't know it seems to me that the book is of two minds I think the no greater love is a love for a family like a familial maternal love. But it's not though because like the no greater love that her mother felt wasn't for her children and like Edwina. Right but Edwina did feel that love. Edwina gave up like her whole life for her siblings. For sure. For a maternal love and is ultimately deciding to marry so that she can have more maternal love. More children. That's not how I read those last four paragraphs. The last four paragraphs. Edwina knew suddenly that one day they would have the same kind of love her parents had had. Mm -hmm. The kind of love you build and you cherish and you take good care of. Kind of love you live for and are even willing to die for. Theirs was a quiet thing, but she sensed that beneath the bond that had already formed was the solid rock you could build a life on. I think she's realizing that she can have that kind of intensity with someone who's not her brothers and sisters. To me, I understood it as she kind of recognized that she cultivated that because there is this whole part shortly after her parents die where she's like what else am I gonna do I have no other choice and like she grows to love her siblings maternally rather than as siblings right but just like you know she grows to love them as like a caregiver as someone who she would like give up her life for and she ultimately does and so I think like she learns through that relationship that that's the kind of relationship she can have with someone else but I, I think like she's ultimately interested in like a family rather than just a a man because she has that relationship with the guy who's married and she understands like he's never yeah that he's never going to be with her and no matter how passionately she feels about him and she thinks that's okay Mm -hmm. because there is a greater love than that kind of passionate love and it's that familial love and I think that's what she's interested in with ultimate like groom of the novel which is Sam which is the idea of like family yeah and like a kind of stability I don't know I like I just didn't buy it rather than romance because romance which is ultimately what her mom felt for her father destroyed her life right well ended her life because ended I her life and would say that the romance of the first hundred pages in true fashion of like all stuff around the Titanic it starts out so breezy so bubbly everybody's drinking champagne all the lights are twinkling the dresses are beautiful the gloves are ivory the mom and dad 
like are still like pinching each other in shadows and like still making out and they have five kids that span the ages from 20 to two yeah and I'm like in some ways that was interesting and like knowing that they were going to die was interesting because like their romance was so clearly alive and well yeah and then it's the thing that kills mom and then destroys Edwina's life yeah yeah exactly it's also interesting because we have the juxtaposition of and I think this is what kind of gets at the idea of the book doesn't believe that there is no greater love than like a romantic love because her aunt made the same kind of choice that Edwina makes at the end of the book and was miserable and suffered and the book makes a big deal about making that clear that that was the wrong kind of love so I think the titular no greater love is the familial bond between like the maternal love I mean if that were so then the book should have believed her every time that she said this is enough like raising the kids was enough and, I like, think I think the book does believe her when she says that no because, because she like, talks everyone about, like, says that that's not enough for you and then she like and the and like this is what I mean about the last four pages like the idea that she has this like nice love affair with Patrick comes back and is like oh the kids are gonna grow up and leave me and then I'll yeah. have nothing Right. So now I can start my own family yeah. with this person as old as my dad because he's good to the kids yep. and he's sad too. But she's still saying like, I don't need anything else. I just need more of this. But like, that seems crazy to me. I mean, it might seem crazy, but I think that's what the book believes. But that you would just have this ongoing maternal like family order. And the book is so weird about it too. He's like, well, what are you going to do now? And she's like, I'll just wait on nieces and nephews. And I was like, that seems cool. Like you've got enough, like find a hobby and like the the book is so insistent like through other characters because Edwina's really insistent that she's fine and that like this is enough and that raising the five children took everything out of her why would she want more her love affair reveals that it didn't take everything out of her right something you know was unlocked I don't know I was just mad that it had to end in a marriage especially because like I did believe Edwina I totally believed her when she's like this is enough and I'm tired and like I don't want to do babies again like that seemed normal to me she had raised five kids yeah I mean that seems fine and normal but she was only 32 yeah I wanted, she doesn't know anything else right I wanted her to like run the paper there were so many things I wanted for Edwina that I <laughs> she, didn't yeah. get for her I wanted her to stay in England as Patrick's kept woman yeah I wanted, I wanted like that. a lot of things for her but back to the original question I believe that the book thesis is stating that the no greater love would be than of the kind of familial bond that you work on. Yeah. And that you structure with the purpose of like creating this more family, more family. This book was so interesting and so fascinating <laughs> and so you know, detailed. So, and then to end on something like you got to have more kids because you're facing the emptiness of your years. So I looked up some other Danielle students novels and I was really surprised when I was reading their plot lines that they're like this one where the romance doesn't really exist for a really long time. Mm -hmm. It's a lot about like family building and caregiving like daddy Mm -hmm. which is another one of her most famous. He does the same thing like he falls in love with one woman and then he ends up with another one. He's abandoned in the beginning of the book to raise these children and most of the book is about him dealing with being single parent. Yeah I thought like the boxcar children 
children vibe was really interesting. Do you know what this book reminded me of? It reminded me of the Betty Davis movie Now Voyager. Yeah. Not just because of the boats, but because of the like rediscovering yourself and mm-hmm. at a later age. And I think that's one of the things that has actually most surprised me about the ice wines is that most of our heroines are older. Most of our heroines have already made a life choice. They're not actually older. No. They're older by the standards of the day. And like they all conceive of themselves as spinsters. And like they've already made a different life choice when like love or whatever comes Mm -hmm. swooping in. And I find that really interesting that the ice wines that we've chosen. They're all older women who have decided that they don't need romantic love and then are ultimately seduced seduced into a romantic situation. Yeah. And that's like the resolution of the novel. And almost all of it is around family building, which also seems like very, very specific. Yeah, it's all around family building. Like our heroine in Devil's Bride. Yep. She's just very good at running a household. She can't help it. And like this heroine's a mother. She can't help it. You know, that's her natural calling. That's her natural state of being. Right. And it's predicated on the fact that like she helped raise her mother's children already and like that's one of the other interesting things about this book is like the way that her parents are talked about both in their parenting styles and like their lives outside of their children because like everybody keeps telling Edwina your parents had more than just you guys like you need to go out more they went out you know they had and like that's the other thing like raising children takes a lot of people to do it like they have a cook they had a maid they had uh, you know tutors they had friends it's like the idea of the village is really baked into the parents rearing of the children but as soon as Edwina takes up the mantle of mother she really collapses the village yeah and they say it's because of money which right I believe me too but you're right like she takes on everything she becomes the cook at the conclusion of the book Fanny is just considered utterly domestic Mm -hmm. She wants to cook her special turkey, which the mm-hmm. book keeps putting in quotes. quotes. I know. It's like, like, what is she so doing? Mean. <laughs> like, it is her special turkey. She's making the turkey for you. It's her special turkey. It, it yeah, does the kind two of remind me of that. Short shrift. <laughs> They really do. Teddy likes horses and cars and cars and Fanny likes um, cooking and cleaning and being at home. She's a homebody. The other thing that I find really striking about the historicals that we've read for Ice Wine is their historical specificity and like a real commitment to like, I'm going to share with you historical facts. One of the things that's so great about this, so this book comes out in 1991. They hadn't actually found the Titanic at the bottom of the Atlantic yet. So there's this whole thing about where all of these accounts of witnesses who survived say they thought the ship had ripped in half, but then the science at the time, up until we find the Titanic in 1995, is that the ship didn't rip in half. It just sounded like it did. But now we know for a scientific fact that it did. And Danielle Steele has it in her book, has all of the accounts. She has like the names of the two telegraph operators and that like the Californian turned off its radio because it was yeah. mad at the telegraph the operators. The exact lifeboat number uh, admiral who was directing, who was keeping all men yeah. <laughs> off of the lifeboats. First officer light tower. Yeah. And and she had the lifeboats numbered and like how many people were in each lifeboat. She even had the collapsibles uh, lettered in the way that they were for the ship. Like extensive yeah. research for first hundred pages. And then like I was so excited to read about the Titanic because I was like obsessed with it as a kid. Uh-huh. And then it's over 
and like I was like oh okay the Titanic sink now the next chapter is going to be like a different storyline in the Titanic and it's like no we're just following these people post Titanic and <laughs> yeah, I was like what? Of course of course but then she also goes into like super detailed reportage of the early days of World War One yeah. and how, the, how America got involved and then she goes into super detailed reportage of the early days of Hollywood. Oh my god name dropping people I like ended up looking at a couple people up because she mentioned them yeah. so much. No they're real. Yeah and the fact that Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford married each other and then like had a ranch Pickford. called. Yeah I was like yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. Oh my god. I was a Joan Crawford. Yeah. Joan Crawford married their eldest son and they were very upset because those two had worked for so long to kind of create acting as like it's not sex work type thing you know like try to give it a good name and like mm-hmm. a reputable name especially in film and Joan Crawford straight up acted in blue movies and they were so upset that their son married her and she would go to their parties and knit wow I love stories of young Joan Crawford just trying to fit in yeah the, Hollywood the early stuff Hollywood stuff and that was fascinating like the idea of like the Beverly Hills Hotel just opening mm-hmm. was fascinating yeah and like building the neighborhoods and like how far stuff was away from each other and yeah like, there's a scene where they have to go to Mexico all of that was outstanding like the phone how you had to yell louder over a long distance line yeah like the phone and like the building of technology yeah through was so good yeah there's lots of interesting historical pieces in this book yeah. and not a lot of interesting plot no oh my god it's so GD boring <laughs> Like the through thread is just the little orphans trying to get along. But all of the window dressing was so good. Like I found myself loving this book, not for the plot, but for like everything that surrounded it. See, um, I even thought like the historical details, I was like bored to oh death. Oh my God, I loved but it. But I still think it's like interesting, this commitment to specificity because with Devil's Bride, she was so specific about how mourning works yep. in relation to the social lives of the ton. In Indigo by Beverly Jenkins, she's so specific about how the Underground Railroad worked and also the social structuring of free blacks and like very specific about it. Whereas like today, whenever I read like a newer historical romance, it might as well be a Disney movie. Yeah. Like it's just this like vague soup of like ye old times. Right. Sometimes I'll put in a year in there, but like don't expect like the fashions or the news of the day to ever come into play. Besides like one thing, like printing presses. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like these books are so dedicated to like rooting itself in time and that they have a fictitious character who then interacts with real people. Yeah. Like that commitment of these ice wine historicals is really interesting to me. But it's also like it's big history. Yeah. It's stuff that you Sweeping. learn about in school. Whereas like I think about our second episode where it was a very specific piece of like basically ephemera about how people used to hire guides to take them through the Alps so that they could sketch flowers. Yeah. I think ephemeria comes into a lot of like specificity today with newer novels, but not this kind of history textbook type For stuff. sure. Like in collapsible lifeboat yeah. A that one of the telegraph operators was able to get in, but then suffered frostbite on like five of his toes. Because, yeah. Like, you know, he'd been in the water for too long or that this like. This kind of thing like begs fact checking. And it's all right. Exactly. It begs fact checking. Whereas like 
like with stuff that comes out today, like, they can kind of get away with whatever because there's a real lack of specificity. Right. Just that, kind of like a general idea. Right. And that vagueness I think is interesting and like on purpose in the same way that the specificity here is like almost like using it like a cudgel where it's like, I did the work. Yeah. Look yeah. at my work. It's like, you want to see my yes. work? I'll show it to you whether or not you want to see it. In that way, like this didn't even feel like a romance novel. Mm. It felt like a family saga where they're really just being swept up in history. Yeah, it just felt like a mini series. Yeah, exactly. It is not integrated into the story of the At all. book. Which Devil's Bride and Indigo, it is. Yeah. The history like is important and like structures how the plot is going to move forward. And this is just I mean, other than the Hollywood stuff, which definitely does matter more than Titanic, which is just sort of like an interesting incident and World War One, which is just an incident <laughs> to kill a brother. Yeah. But also like even whenever they adapted this for a film, they changed the old Hollywood stuff and kept the story the same where he was like a real theater actor and like it's all about the theater instead mm. of film. Okay. You know, so even that isn't yeah, I guess that not. important. <laughs> it's, you know, it's really not. This book is so fascinating in its details. So George marries Helen and her last name is Horowitz and like literally nothing is said about him being the studio head or like anybody else until they get to the wedding itself and then it's like our main character Edwina sees them under the canopy and she's like this is one of the only times that their religion comes into play and then George like broke the glass but they're not orthodox and it doesn't matter that and she also <laughs> doesn't use like any of the proper terms for it I think no. she literally says canopy she and does. breaks the glass yeah she doesn't know and she's like they're not orthodox so it doesn't matter and I was like this is a very <laughs> strange omission for somebody yeah. who knew the name of both telegraph operators on the Titanic <laughs> it's, it's a really <laughs> weird thing and also just like the choice to make the characters Jewish which is understandable but to not then like have anything else to say about it literally when it, like, nothing would have mattered a lot yeah at this point especially to like a very Anglo family who's like marrying into British aristocracy before the Titanic sinks somebody would have said something somebody was thinking something and yeah. the idea that this book just pretends it doesn't matter is like crazy to me <laughs> Yeah. Interesting choice. Yeah, it is. Like, they never <laughs> even use the term Jewish. They don't. <laughs> like, they don't. They don't. And she uses canopy. And I remember reading it and not even, like, registering that that was a kuppa. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, canopy. Like, people get married under canopies. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Steele. Strange choices. Daniel Steele, strange choices. God. I have a hard time understanding why her books resonated so much. Yeah, because it's boring. Yeah, compared to the other Ice Wines that we've read, like, I was so excited to read Danielle Steele because mm -hmm. to me, I'm like, this is it. This is like the keystone. This is the punchline. It's this the punchline. This is the point of hinge. But this is also like, they made movies out of her big movie. Well, Lifetime movies. Lifetime they've movies. Won. They've won Golden Globes. Like, budgets. They had yeah. budgets. And like, I also think it's really interesting just because we've talked about this before, but Titanic, the James Cameron film, is such a cornerstone of our our childhoods mm -hmm. and are, I would say, a big part of my cultural identity. Totally. And probably a big part of cultural identities, at least for other middle class white girls. But this came out before that, yep. like, you know, and had the same kind of commitment to historical detail. But this is like also a point in history that we no longer see covered in romance novels. The Edwardian period yeah. and then leading up to World War One, One. Interesting. Or even like post-World War One. Right. And like, that's the thing, like the beginning of the Jazz Age, like 
she bobs her hair in 1923. Oh my God, I was so excited. She shingles her hair, which is like yeah. a more intense way of bobbing. Yeah. Where you shave kind of the back of your head. Yeah. And create like a lovely little V shape. Yeah, she shingles her hair. And then Alexis in Paris does something called Marcelling. Marcel waves. Yeah, so like I assumed that was like a perm, an early perm, because like they have to work so hard to get it out of her hair when they get Alexis back. Yeah, the Marcel waves, a description of the shape, mm. but they use those like contraptions with like the big irons mm. those like early curling irons created the effect yeah again details that are fascinating but then like don't go anywhere <laughs> so it's like cool to know but like that doesn't the idea that you'd have a woman who at 20 her life ends and then she begins life anew as a mother and then like doesn't do fashionable stuff wears black for two years yeah. not only because she doesn't want to be out of mourning but she can't afford anything else and then her brother becomes an up-and-coming studio head and she shingles and bobs her hair and she doesn't want to embarrass him yeah, when she, she goes out in Los Angeles yeah she doesn't want to embarrass him but like what would that mean like there was so little internality here yeah and for a romance novel that was actually kind of shocking yeah there is so little internality and it is kind of all expressed through like any kind of insight into our characters is kind of expressed through these little details choosing to shingle your hair and getting a Marcel wave and yeah and then like your hemlines go up at one point she's thinking about these other women and like how much leg they're bearing and that she's uncomfortable but she doesn't want to be unfashionable so she gets the dress and she loves it or at the wedding she wears something that's like totally backless yeah and she's a sexy woman people like continue to comment on how like attractive she is but like yeah. she never thinks about her attractiveness either way yeah just in terms of like not embarrassing her brother yeah it's weird it's, it's a very weird book it's so strange yeah fascinatingly weird it is nothing like I expected agreed like this is not what I thought women the world over were connecting with no 179 <laughs> novels of like basically sexless no basically sexless this is sexless I mean she hooks up with Patrick that one time but it's just like fade to black yeah it's a fade to black in a Irish in oh but shout out to our Irlanders yeah someone likes your penis in this Sure. I was really into the Romanovs more than Titanic. Yeah, I get that. Empire and all that. Mm. I think that's like maybe a question people should ask on a first date. Like, were you more into the Titanic or the Romanovs? Well, I think it's like, what sad thing were you into as a child or early teen, right? Yeah, so like, yeah. I didn't start with Titanic. I started with the Civil War, I think, which then led me into oh, the Titanic. did you read Little Women? No, I hated Little Women. I was really late to that party. The thing that got me interested in the Civil War is that my very good friend, her father and brother did reenactments. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this oh, is shit. cool. I'm oh, definitely no. going to read about this. No, I think like knowing, I don't know what it is about sad stuff. No, I think the question is Titanic or Romanovs. And I think it's because the Romanovs are about people and the Titanic is about ideas. I think the Romanovs are also about ideas. Like that's how empire works. And that like the way in which like the people are swept up in the same way that like you can pull any individual story out of Titanic. There's so many interesting but the ones. Ro but the Romanovs is an individual story. Like part of the impact of Titanic is that so many people died. Right. And so many people who like never thought they were going to die. Whereas like the Romanovs were like, they're going to kill you. Your people are going to kill you. They're going to kill you. And it's about 
poverty and it's about wealth, but it's also on this like individual level. Plus the Romanovs have Rasputin, Rasputin, which like any aspiring goth kid would really gravitate towards. Also hemophilia. I mean, hemophilia. The Romanovs It is like these personal details are what makes up the story of the overthrow of the czar. I would argue that Titanic's tragedy is also deeply embedded in the personal details. But I think like the tragedy of Titanic is that all these people thought it was going to be okay because they never had a reason to think it wasn't going to be okay until it was terribly wrong. I mean, but like like, the Romanovs too, right? No, like the Romanovs (laughs) knew they were going to die. I mean, but not until they went to the House of Special Purpose. Like in 1912, they're like, this is a dynasty that's gone on for 300 years. It will go on forever. I think the Romanovs were like, I think they knew because their son had the hemophilia. Like death was a real possibility for them. The successor was a hemophiliac. Mm -hmm. Everyone around them was telling them they were going to be murdered all the time. They were being poisoned. It was always already apocalypse. And so when it finally happened, whereas I feel like Titanic, it's like everything's great. Champagne crossing the Atlantic. Californians so confident it's going to turn off its radio for the night. Well, because they were passive aggressive and mean. (laughs) They were upset. The Titanic was a bitch, but whatever. Like it's the idea of like the ship of dreams. Mm -hmm. People didn't believe in the Romanovs, but except for the Romanovs. I mean, I think like that's yes and no. People did believe in the monarchy and like the idea of like the Duma and everything else that was happening at the onset of Nicholas's reign is interesting and like how hard they had to work to get the son and then like they finally get him and he's a hemophiliac which had already taken down three of Victoria's grandchildren in various monarchies like Spain being the biggest one. There is something about like being a survivor that exists in both of those historical moments. Sure. Right because our obsession is of course with Anastasia. 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 Turns out she just got choked out in a river after she ran away or something. Yeah they found her body. But the thing about Anastasia that also like is great is that her name means the resurrection. So then it's like that lends itself immediately to a kind of myth making. (laughs) Yeah there's something also I think in the tragedy of Titanic that is just so human the folly of people whereas like there's something inherently like supernatural about what like Rasputin comes into the picture. How many ways that he couldn't die. Yeah Anastasia possibly like surviving and like her name meaning the resurrection and the idea that like she'll somehow like resume the The lost princess yeah Yeah. and that I think there's something more supernatural to what happened with the Romanov and I think that's the switch though right like the Titanic was a supernatural ship that couldn't be sunk and then was by human folly and then you had this extremely human family with human foibles and all that other stuff I think it's like a human story that became supernatural and Mm -hmm. then a supernatural story that became human yeah that's right the Titanic being the latter yeah but I do think so that that's kind of an interesting hinge of like what are you more (laughs) interested in what happens if you're interested in both like I started with a Titanic you can be interested in both but like what would you rather see that's such a great question can you pick I can't because I actually go figure I know right (laughs) but like it's so funny because like two nights ago I saw a new PBS documentary about the Romanoffs and I stayed up until two o'clock in the morning watching it well there's that whole show on Amazon that I'm not gonna watch called the Romanoffs which is just a mini series that revolves around people who think they might be a Romanoff yeah and like why would you care to think that you were what a fucked up thing to think about yourself and then have meaning yeah the fact that it has meaning for you yeah is 
kind of supernatural. Yeah, that's weird. Like it's going to imbue you with something. Mm-mm. Other than tragedy, like an intolerance for vodka. You know? <laughs> anyway, I was really disappointed that there wasn't more stuff about the Titanic. The, the fact that it ended <laughs> in a hundred page. All, I wanted it all Titanic. Titanic. Well, it's just like a chunk of facts about Titanic. It's yep. a chunk of facts about World War One, and it's a chunk of facts about a new Hollywood. It's history book stuff. And so I kind of was more interested. I was like, I want to know about the petty bourgeoisie of San Francisco. Totally. And then they like, kept referring to San Francisco as like this sleepy town in comparison to LA. Little town. <laughs> it's a quiet village. Right. This is not what I expected a Daniel Steele book to be. I was yeah. deeply surprised by the lack of romance. So like this is the part that really began to like pull the rug out for me. Uh, it's like Alexis is the quiet sister who's like most attached to the parents and then most attached to Philip, the brother who dies in World War One. And at 13, she's basically too beautiful to live. Edwina's <laughs> worried that like men are catcalling her and that she likes the attention at yep. 13. And like it only gets worse from there. And by the time that she's 17 and George is marrying the daughter of the studio head and Alexis then wants to be in films and she looks much older than she is and uh-huh. she starts lying to people about her age. So she can be in the movies. So she can be in the movies. But she's so innocent and like that turn of like her beauty is death yeah was crazy explicit it's so dangerous that she's be- but it's dangerous from the moment that she's a child it starts making you nervous because it talks about like how she looked like gossamer like she could flitter away and yeah. she's like basically like ethereal and like super attached to their mom yeah which you can't trust can't trust it <laughs> can't trust it. Which is also strange, like a middle child Mm -hmm. being like the most attached to the mother. Mm -mm. No one ever calls that out. That's true. The birth order dynamics of this book are very strange. Yeah, like like George makes sense. Yeah, the cheeky one. Yeah, I guess she makes sense in that she wants to be an actress and she betrays her family's trust and everything, but like, Mm -hmm. she is like such a central mover and the babies in the family are so like, Yeah, I don't know. But like, the fact that her beauty was dangerous and had been from the outset and that she didn't trust the siblings particularly Edwina and that she'd like run away a lot there was so much grounding that this child was going to be trouble and then, yeah like, yeah is. even before the Titanic happens right and I was disappointed that like beauty was being marshaled in that way mm. I guess I'm not surprised by it no also a specific kind because Edwina is beautiful mm-hmm. but in a way that's kind of safe and yeah, has like agency manageable. yeah yeah whereas like you know the blonde headed like doe eyed right she Idiot like, child. Only lives to be exploited. Yeah, exactly. She only exists to be exploited. <laughs> and like everybody's so worried about it. And then like she's exploited. Yeah, of course she is. Yeah. Like her brother loves her so much. And his first expression is when he gets pissed at someone for trying to stick it in her. Yeah. Like it's so weird. It is so weird. There is this like constant fear of exploitation and then like no real action against it. Literally none. <laughs> it's like it's going to happen. <laughs> like she just like lets her kids hang out her kids her siblings just like hang out in the Beverly Hills Hotel (laughs) which seems crazy I mean like I wouldn't even let my kids hang out with like high school theater students no you don't want that kind of energy into your children way too sexual and like intense it's just intense it's a lot to be around it is a lot to be around so sister lives to be exploited is exploited by a man who could be her father is drugged and then raped and taken to 
England. Uh, as part of a blackmail scheme to get the theater heads money. So that happens, but all's well that ends well. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, you can be in the movies, but you gotta wait three more years. And she's like, we'll do, sis. No. <laughs> There's like actually one moment where they're like on the ship together and she's like, are you gonna tell George? And she's like, you know, it's not my secret to tell. I won't tell George if you don't want me to. Like, whatever. And she's like, well, what is this gonna do? Like, and affect me? And she's like, this is just noise. You know, like you have this bad experience. You yeah, learn this yeah. lesson and you take it with you. Everything else is just noise. Who for the fuck cares? That was an amazing speech from it, Edwina. It was yeah. so good. It was so much better than this book deserved. It was insane how good it was. And to have it between two sisters who'd had such a hard time connecting. But also then it's like, that's such a good thing for other women to tell women where it's like, what are people going to think of me? And it's like, it doesn't matter what other people think of you. Did you learn the thing that you were supposed to learn from this experience? Because if you did, then like, fuck it. And I was like, that's so nice. I'm going to try and find it so I can read it because it's that good. So if we're going to talk about things that we did like, so like that speech and you're looking for it. One of the things that I loved about this book was the brothers were allowed a full range of emotions. Like there's this scene a year after the Titanic sinks where George has played a mean trick on his older brother, Philip, and like left his clothes out and made it look like he drowned. Philip comes screaming out because he's so angry and he's so angry because he was so scared and he's crying and he finally gets a hold of George and he shakes him and he's yelling and he's like how could you do that to me you can't do that like why would you do that and the grip that he has on his brother is like one of fear and he's just like openly crying and then his crying makes George cry and then George is like you're not my dad and like you don't get to tell me not to do these things and then like there's a moment where Philip is like I'm telling you this because I love you and like the fact that even from a very young age these boys were never told that being strong isn't crying and that expressing affection isn't just violence. Like the full range of emotion that the boys are given as boys and then into men, I thought was really, really nice. That actually gets into my weirdest part. Great. So put a pin in it, but I did find the quote. So Alexis asks her sister, do you think George will know about Malcolm? I mean, she looked genuinely scared and Edwina thought about it carefully. Maybe not if you're very discreet and the children don't tell him. And if they do or someone else does, what do you really think he can do? Edwina asked, addressing her as an adult for the first time. He can't do anything. Whatever harm that was done was done to you in your heart, your soul, whatever part of you that truly matters. If you can make your peace with that, then you've won. You've learned some hard lessons and put them behind you. All that really matters is what you got out of it. The rest is just noise. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's super good. My weirdest part. Mm -hmm. So there are these scenes between the brothers, like the one at the lake house. There's Mm -hmm. also the one before Philip goes away to war and they're in the kitchen and they get a little drunk together and eat turkey sandwiches. Mm -hmm. The sisters don't really get those scenes. You're right. Like there's like no scene where like Fanny and Edwina and Alexis kind of hang out Mm -hmm. or even like Fanny and Alexis spend time together. Mm -hmm. They don't get that same development. Yeah. Like there's a real sense of like the boys being caregivers and like their experience being central to what's happening in the book in a way that 
Alexis and Fanny are not. Mm-hmm. I think that's really right. And I think what's interesting about it is like showing a panoply of male emotion comes at the expense then of the character development of the sisters. Yeah. And like, that's weird. Because it is, it's such a big book. And if it cut out like three or four historical de- yeah. <laughs> details, we would have space to learn about all of the family members and, and how they interact with each other. Yeah. For a family drama, which is really what I would call this, yep. there's very little family interaction. For sure. Which is weird. What was the weirdest part for you? Well, that's weird. I think Sam is probably my weirdest part. The <laughs> man who could be her father who's like, marry me. I'm like, he just came in a little deuciest <laughs> up for me. And like, he's got like this silver mane of hair. I very much was imagining him as the guy. We were just talking about Russian stuff. Have you ever seen the movie The Saint with Val Kilmer? Yes. That actor who plays Kredyak. <laughs> I think I put this in the margins of my book. Not the first older man to court her. Her nope. father's friend offers his hand. And as soon as her father's friend was introduced, I thought of the actor who plays Jorah Mormont. Yeah, exactly. I was envisioning yeah. Ben like that too. And like, it's weird to me that like, we understand that her father's friend Ben isn't like a viable candidate. And then like the same exact figure basically shows up yeah. again <laughs> at the end and is suddenly a viable candidate. And yeah. like the anchor of this no greater love. I was well, like, she's like grown. Fuck this. Yeah, it's strange. I wasn't super surprised by all the older band stuff, given that Danielle Steele is the award winning author of Daddy. That was my weirdest part. So Alexis is exploited. She has this moment where she's like come to get her sister from the seedy hotel room and she sees like her sister's totally deflated and like yeah. just like really abused and she's like there would never be enough love appreciation or validation for Alexis because the thing that she was always missing was a daddy. Yeah. And like this insistence on calling that relationship daddy is <laughs> like too much. It was like every paragraph it's like she didn't have a daddy. She was looking for her daddy and all she the wrong her places. Daddy. So like oh now that God. word explicitly has the connotations. Yeah. You know, but it's like I don't think Danielle Steele is unaware of like the sexual possessive No, she's not connotations mm-hmm. of daddy and is like handling that. It's true. The word daddy appears. So many times. It's like brow beats you with daddy at the end. <laughs> and then like Edwina marries a daddy. So like she does. Cool. Well, she, she's always courting daddies. Yeah. That's my weirdest part. Yeah. Especially since Patrick, who's, you know, in a loveless marriage to a woman who is explicitly a lesbian. Oh, and he can't um, divorce her because he's Catholic. A British Catholic. And he's 39. So the fact that they're much more contemporaries, I don't know. I'm really like, why does she have to end up with someone of her father's generation? Why can't she find like a nice other person? I have this vision where like Sam dies in the next like two years, 10 years. And then she goes back and uh, probably through some like terrible horseback riding accident Patrick is now available yeah and then they get married that's fine that'd be great even if they only see each other in New York like you know I can't believe her like dead fiance's mom mailed her the wedding veil yeah I mean so it arrived the day before what would have been a wedding the timing was crazy (laughs) that's 
so heavy. But I thought it was nice that she's like, you know, this was made for you. I had it made for you special. I want you to have it. And like, you know, implicitly, I want you to use it. And she did eventually give it to Helen for her wedding day, which was very special and nice. It was. It's just like a lot. It was a lot. Oh, man. A lot of broken dreams. Or when that aunt shows back up after like her sisters died on the Titanic and she goes upstairs to her sister's bedroom. She's like, you haven't put any of the clothes away. What's wrong oh with you? Oh my God. Her aunt starts off as this tragic figure and then becomes a villain. Yeah, that was Over weird. the course of the book and just like loses all empathy and sympathy for the character, which was weird. And then shuffles off her mortal coil, leaving Edwina enough money to never have to depend on her siblings, which was nice. Even though Edwina just kind of boxed her out for yeah. 10 years. What was the sexiest part? Is this book sexy? No! I can't think of a single... I am so glad. It's not sexy. Even it's the not. parts where sex happens were not sexy. No. Also, um, the most explicit sex that happens is rape and exploitation. The chapters that have sex scenes are right on top of each other and it's the love match between Patrick and Edwina and then it's the awful exploitation of Alexis through Malcolm. Our heroine's love affair with Patrick is certainly morally gray mm-hmm. and is very much like now Voyager. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like they're both like acts of passione mm-hmm. more than they are acts of practicality. And at the end of the book, I think she's made a practical choice. She's made a good choice. That's how the book wants me to understand it. None of this book was titillating to me. I've got to say, far more fascinating read is Danielle Steele's Wikipedia page. Yeah, that woman has lived an incredibly interesting life. She has nine yeah. children. Mm-hmm. She's been married six times. She has a rumored 6,000 pairs of Louis Vuitton heels. Educated in Paris and France. Exclusively writes on typewriters, doesn't drink caffeine, and sleeps four hours a night. And uh, worked in ad agencies. Do you think it's cocaine? That keeps her from sleeping? Not that keeps her from sleeping. She's very intentionally sleeping only four hours a night. That's insane. Because she wants to, as the Wikipedia page points out, she wants to be a full-time mom as well as a full-time writer. And you got nine kids, that's a lot. You can do it too, ladies. (laughs) Do you think that's made up? No, I think think it's real. Do you think she's creating a mystery? Have you seen the pictures of the house that she lives in in San Francisco? Yeah, I did. Crazy. Also, the gorgeous Paris apartment. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. She mostly lives in Paris now. Mm-hmm. All right. No sexy parts. No mance or womance. I wouldn't categorize this as a romance novel. No, but that's what it... That's how it's billed. Like, Daniel Steele writes romance, but this is not a romance. This is a family saga. Does she have any sexy books? That's a great question. Are there sex scenes in Daniel Steele's 178 other novels? Yeah. I don't know. This is my first. I don't know either. I hope someone will... Let us know. Let us know. Yeah, it's a nomance for me. Yeah. Would not recommend... Well, I would... I I don't think I would recommend it. I would recommend... Pass. It to some people. I can't think of anyone I would recommend it to. It's just so weird. I don't think it's even weird. It's just boring. I like the boring parts. (laughs) I wish there was more Titanic. Just read a book about the Titanic, (laughs) Oh, I have, Morgan. (laughs) I have. There's this great part in uh, Belinda Blinked, the My Dad Wrote a Porto book, where his dad is very interested in the Titanic because he had ancestors who worked on it, and he said her nipples became as large and as firm as the rivets that held together the mighty Titanic. (laughs) That's really good. There's some big fucking rivets. Yeah, they are. All right, with that, loosen your stays. But never your principles. Let's do a nice wines toast.
Whoa, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more Womance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listening app. Until next week. <laughs>